Hey guys, this is Tina B. And Charmaine G. We're here to talk about the messiness of life. It's ugly. And it's raw. It's real. And it's a freaking game. It's whack-a-mole. 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 This is us. And our gift to you. Hello and welcome to Whack-a-mole. Welcome, wackos. Woohoo! It's Tuesday, another beautiful Tuesday, like 10 degrees cooler than last week. It's a cool, like 85 right Loving now. Loving the weather. So dry, so beautiful. I'm really uh, digging it right now. It took a minute. We're, we're at yeah, the we were last on fires. Third still of, some states oh my on fires because of the, the desert heat and the, the dry Just summer. Just being dry and all that. So it's really nice. We're starting to um, feel a beautiful change in the weather for autumn. So uh, how was your week? My week was delicious. Oh my gosh. So tasty. <laughs> tasty and delicious. <laughs> yes. Uh, a lot of big achievements and, and uh, we'll get to those because the, I want to say I don't have anything to offer in, for my life whack-a-mole. Except for the... Yes, my, you my do. Team. I'll do your life whack-a-mole you at will. the end. You yeah, whack I will. It. I will. Okay. I'll whack it out. Baby. I had a lot of life. Let's just say that. I had a lot of life happening. I had a lot of FFTs, first effing first times for the Brene lovers. Mm. Um, uh, stay tuned to our uh, pages, everyone. We've got some nice visuals coming to you live in the broadcast, in the studio, in addition to um, our life. Um, we want to see more from you guys, too. Yeah, totally. I mean, so totally. Upload, Don't hold post. back. I uh, I gave Amy some pictures of my artwork, <gasps> some of the stuff that my peace and love thing that's hanging in my office. And <sighs> You're so, so talented. It was thank you. You're thank welcome. Thank you. It was really. I cool. wish I had that, but I I love and you have talent that in different ways for sure. Charmaine and I are having a love affair with one another. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our disclaimer: of course, we're mm-hmm. adults having adult conversations, so be wary of that or not. It, doesn't matter. Um, you just should know that there's some foul language. Today's topic is going to include some things you probably wouldn't want your kids to hear. Um, but I'm hopeful that everybody out there can relate to something that I say. I'm about I'm about to bear my soul. Mm. So um, it's a and big this is deal. all in. Go- it is a big deal, and it's. I really need to preface it by saying that this is uh, about serving others. I mentioned that last week, and I've mentioned it before that this podcast was um was created so that we could serve other human beings and be okay like we just we're all in this thing together and and if if something that one of us says will help facilitate somebody else's um growth then uh, for the better then great that's why we're here and one of the things that we talked about earlier is that this is self-reflection and these are experiences that we've lived through but you know, th- anyone can relate to some degree on some topics, but not all of them. So when you think about it, it's uh, it's a venture for both our audience and ourselves. Um, it's more or less just to share um, the experiences. Yeah, I think what we offer often is that with each topic, we're in a different place with it. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. yeah so we can offer that to our audience. You know, yeah. some days you can be a Tina and some days you can be a Charmaine. <laughs> How's that? In the middle, we're all wackos. <laughs> right. <though. laughs> totally. Totally. Okay. So as previously stated, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And I want to say that, um, 
I have personal experience in this, both in my childhood and in my adulthood. But I do also first want to say that if you are in an abusive relationship, if you're somewhere where you're being controlled and it is affecting you, not just physically, but on an emotional and mental level, there's help out there. Um, the first step is admitting that there is a problem, that Mm -hmm. there is something going on, just Mm -hmm. like every other big thing that we have to tackle, that the first step is always just admitting that there's something going on. Um, the national domestic violence hotline is 1-800-787-3224. You can also reach out to them at their uh, website and have a chat with somebody. So, um, there's stuff, and I'm certain that in your own community, that there is a place where you can uh, go and seek refuge from an unsafe situation. Right. So. So I'm going to start off with a firecracker. Okay. Just because when I think of domestic violence, the image that comes to my mind is somebody that's been physically beat and battered mm-hmm. and they're in a um, ongoing situation they're isolated from the public mm. and they're completely in a sheltered living for a long period of time and haven't seen the light of day that's the image of my mind domestic violence is is that different than just physical or what do you think Oh, absolutely. And I, for me, I can, I'm only going to speak from my experience and I've seen this happen with other women who's, that's not my story, but my story is that, um, I was sucked in, if you will, Mm. or, um, lured or manipulated, whatever you want, um, uh, preyed upon my weaknesses from an emotional standpoint. And then the physical stuff, um, started to come in. Um, there's, two things that I don't like. I don't, I never call myself a victim of domestic violence. I don't like that word. I think it has a negative connotation. Interesting. Um, yeah, for me, I, it's, if I'm a victim, then I can't get out of that. It's not something, you know, that I can get out of. Right. I mean, let's, I don't like to put any label on it, but if I were to put one, it would be a survivor. I'm a survivor of that. So it's something that I lived through and thank goodness, like everything else, I've learned something from it. So no, I don't think it starts with just physical violence. And I too get a visual in my head before, um, before I had my own personal experience with it, maybe my experience as a child in the seventies, when my father was, um, abusive towards my mother, I, you see, um, a picture of maybe, uh, a housewife, somebody who is not making their own money somebody who is uh, completely dependent on a man, Mm -hmm. but domestic violence affects everybody. And men have been subject to it, though the statistics show that women are far more um, liable to be. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. But it's not exclusive to women for sure. No, not at all. No, it isn't. But I do think that men have a more difficult time admitting that they've been in an abusive relationship with a woman because the whole gender thing, you know? You know, that is an area that I wanted to highlight because <clears throat> what drives that to, for women or men? What prevents them from admitting? Like, what is the holdup of, 
uh, maybe kind of going and asking for help or maybe even just thinking this is the norm um, and this is what I deserve and those repetitive cycle thoughts. Um, and I, I want to add really quick that I realize domestic violence has many colors mm. to, the, to the spectrum. Um, emotional abuse, neglect, abandonment, um, gaslighting, uh, mm. narcissism, so many things mm-hmm. that are non-physical. Um, what holds people back any line of abuse to, to be able to go and say, I'm in a situation here, I have an issue and I don't know what to do about it. I think it's really vast. I think for me, the only reason I'm able and willing to talk about this subject so openly today at my age is because I'm on the other side of it. So even seven years ago, five years ago, maybe I probably wouldn't have talked about it openly because I still had shame about it. Mm -hmm. I no longer have shame about it because I've done some work behind it. I've been in therapy and I really had to out of fear of ending up in that situation again, I had to look at some stuff. And, um, so that was what motivated me was how do I, how, how do I keep this from happening? Well, my initial solution was my picker is broken and I am not going to involve myself with anybody because <laughs> if this is what it, it you right. know, if this is what I'm attracting like you're at magnet. this, yeah, yeah. It, then I count me out. I've clocked out. I'm, I'll die. Just let me raise my kids successfully. So, um, and when domestic violence is involved in the home, I wasn't succeeding at raising my kids. So when I was little, my father did that. Now I have two brothers and two and one sister. So there's four of us and we were all affected by it negatively. I mean, it was, did you realize what was going on? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, home was a scary place. It just wasn't safe. And once dad took a couple of shots of whiskey, it was over, man. We, it was very unpredictable behavior. And, um, and then in the, shadow of that was mom jumping around trying to make sure everything was okay because um there were times I saw my mom protect us kids from my father and so she took the brunt of his bullshit um this I my father's story is not mine to tell nor is my mother's I just saw it I can speak of it from my um my perspective as a child. And it was a scary place. Home was not safe. Home violence was acceptable. And, um, and uh, we played that out too. My brother and I, I mean, we were constantly at each other's throats. You know, if he did something that pissed me off, I would hit him. I mean, we were taught that. Um, we fought a lot. And I don't know if, if that domestic violence would have changed that. I think that anger just has a lot to do with that. And when For you sure. get to a place where you're like, I don't know how to handle you. So I'm just going to like punch you in the back. I admit, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm, a, you know, I can sit there and say I've, a, I've wanted to beat the shit out of somebody. Oh my before, gosh. Yes. But I, I would have love never to gone see that by the way. I <laughs> know <laughs> you wouldn't. I'm a scrapper. <laughs> I am a total scrapper, but realistically you, you get so mad with emotion that you want to physically, you know, I mean, I've felt that anger, but I never did it mm. because I did. I mean, we're, <laughs> boom what and I only I'm Tina but seriously like what goes past that point tell me how it goes fast that point of going restraint don't go there well that took a lot of 
in, over time. I mean, it just took a long, long time. And I'm, I feel like I'm on the other side of that. It takes restraint. It takes sitting on your hands. And also to me, I believe once we moved, my mother moved us kids out of the situation with my father, we started to surround ourselves with people that weren't in those situations. Okay. So that played a part in it. So you that had didn't the mean that now I yeah, or that I wasn't it, it didn't mean that I got around people and thought, okay, they don't do this, so now I'm not gonna do it. Right. It was more of a um it, it an example. And it fended it off enough that I think I was able to kind of go, Well, this feels better, so maybe I'll just hang out in the nonviolent, you know, side of the street rather than um doing that. The anger didn't go away. I mean, I've had anger for, you know, anger's been the biggest thing that I've had to overcome in my life. Anytime I've ever looked at something, wrote about something, it's been, it's involved my anger behind it. So <clears throat> I, I don't know that there's a beautiful, uh, pat answer to that, that this is what you have to do. And now you will no longer feel that way. It certainly wasn't for me. It took a lot and a lot of looking at myself and looking a little bit deeper and a real dark or excuse me, a real deep desire to not want to behave, um, in that way to not want to act on my anger to go too far. a lot. Yeah. And, and when I was younger, it was ego. I, I was born in the Bronx. I did some growing up in Jersey. And by the time I was an adolescent and we moved out to the West coast, I was a Jersey girl through and through. I mean, I, you know, and you, I talk loud. I, I, I'm loud. You're brusque. I am. I'm aggressive. And you know, you want to, I'm not afraid of a debate or confrontation. You know, I love all that stuff. Right. Um, there, there was a tipping point though, where it was not healthy. And instead of drawing people closer to me, I was pushing them away. Right. So, because um, do you feel like you did that because that's what you were seeing? It um, was what I was taught. There wasn't another solution. That's my question. Do you feel like the the physical aspect of, of violence is a learned behavior? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I don't, I didn't, I had friends growing up and if they like, um, maybe they uh, broke a new toy, an expensive new toy and they're, or they fell off their bike and, and, and ruined it. Um, and that happened to me. Like my friend's mom would be like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Well, as long as you're all right, you know, we can replace the bicycle. And that didn't go down in my family. My family was like, guess who's walking for the rest of time? Like, yeah. you know, you're not, you, you're, you broke your bike. That's just that's tough shit. Fault. And you're, you know, there was no, um, that you just, took your licks like that. Nobody sat me down and said, Hey, you know, are you pissed off? And what are you going to do about that? And let's look at a different way to, to unleash that. It, it just wasn't, it was just so a free nobody for taught you how to manage emotions. No. And it wasn't, I'm not blaming them. No, I, I, I just didn't. That was, I did what I saw. I'm not hearing that. I just, so. I'm curious to know with your magnet later on in life in relationships and the, and the radar being <laughs> not on point with the selection mm -hmm. of, of that, do you feel like it's because of your raising, how you were raised? Yes. Okay. I do. I do. I also have a belief in um, some of the things that like Maya Angelou has said, and that is that... Um, and Eckhart Tolle talks about this too, how generationally this stuff gets passed down. 
I mean, on a really deep level. Oh, yes. On a cultural. Really de- yeah, all that. I mean, there's a gender, all that stuff. The the oppression or uh, suppression, repression, all of that <laughs> stuff um, is starts, you know, it reveals itself. I think as a whole, we're kind of getting to a better place in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, we're not growing at all. But um, certainly for me, there's been an evolution in my life. So when I... I had a baby when I was 32 and I was alone after that. And, and I was happy to be alone. I was a career girl. I was making a lot of money. Um, I bought a house on my own. I was doing stuff and all of my friends were getting married and pairing up and none of them were having kids. I just just had the kids and didn't have a partner. (laughs) Um, and, and, but they were all, you know, partnering up and everybody was finding their way. And we weren't like the 90210 group anymore. We were, everybody was doing their thing. And the one thing that was missing in my life was a relationship. Now, not that I felt like I needed that all the time, but I think somewhere deep down inside me, I felt like I should have that. So when I met, um, my second husband, who will remain nameless this isn't about him and he gets no more power from me whatsoever. Um, he revealed that to me. He revealed his, his aggression to me while we were still dating in my own home. And, um, and I asked him to leave. He lived in another town. He was visiting for the weekend and uh, didn't get his way about something. And I was getting into the shower and he grabbed me and yanked me down and, and hurt me pretty bad. And, um, And so we broke up after that. And there was some little glitch in my system that could not let that relationship go. So I rationalized that and continued to see him after like a month. Mm. You know, it's the, I'm sorry, it will never happen again. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, why are you? And, And I have to say this, that that pleading at that time in my life felt like love. Mm when he was telling me how sorry he was and it wasn't going to happen again and paying that amount of attention to me to that degree, it felt like love Mm -hmm. to me. Um, I now know, of course, that's not what it was, but I was, had not done any of the work on the shit I learned in my childhood at uh, concerning that concerning men, um, that it just didn't, it, what, that's all I knew. Right. I also grew up with an utter disrespect for men as a result of who my father was in our home. So as long, and I learned very clearly at a very young age that if, as long as I had control in the relationship over men, then I was Teflon. I was untouchable. I could, I couldn't, um, they couldn't hurt me. So something shifted. Go ahead. And now that you say that the control factor, did you feel that, you know, the flags were up, uh, you know, especially with the altercation and the sorrow and the remorse and everything could have been genuine. Mm-hmm. At that time, you had the control. Yeah. And when through, someone's begging you to take them back, you have control. And maybe that was the high. That's maybe all that. I ever wanted. Interesting. Yeah. And then he came back and it happened again, like not, maybe a year later. Um, and then it just became a full blown situation that that was his solution. Anytime he got pissed off at me. Now, anybody who knows me knows that I'm not, um, I don't sit back and just let shit happen. I have a 
I am not excusing his behavior. Please do not misconstrue it as that. I have a big mouth. I was, I called him names. I was, I got in there. I got in the ring with him and fought until, until the cops got called and they came to the house and he told them that I had hit him and they were looking for proof. And his daughter and my daughter were in the home. And I said, well, if you think that I was beating up on him, oh, well, you're going to jail too. And I was here in Utah, away from my family. Mm -hmm. Where would my daughter go? That scared the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. So, And um, that's how it is is in statute right now. My understanding is if there's ever a call to 911 and it is identified as a domestic violence situation, someone is going to get arrested. Mm -hmm. No matter what. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to be taken in Mm -hmm. um, to resolve and, you know, disconnect the mm-hmm. fuse so to speak interesting yeah i mean and they'll find it i mean they'll find that for sure now then it takes to the courts to resolve the findings have the evidence and all those things but that is in statute how it reads to my understanding um i mean we actually had a co-worker that threw a picture frame mm. a picture frame husband called felt like he was in danger. Those were the words he used. Mm-hmm. Cops on scene. Boom. She goes to jail for throwing a picture frame. He wasn't even in the house when she did it. Mm. So See, it's I can, almost I feel, like, oh, the, and I see, I see individuals use that. And I, I, I don't know why we're going this direction, but I feel impressed to pay, say there's also some people that use it as leverage, knowing that piece to the puzzle saying, mm. I want to get him out of mm-hmm. here. And I told him to leave and he won't leave. Mm-hmm. And so I'm calling the cops mm-hmm. that and their record and all of those things. I'm not minimizing no, because totally. it's a real thing. Yeah. And it's a, like it's such a, almost like an underground scenario, because if you're really in a domestic violence situation, it's not people stay. Like you went through that cycle of forgiveness and highs and lows and pride and ego and all those control factors because it was very much uh, uh, an ongoing thing. It wasn't one time, was it? No, Yeah. it wasn't one time. Um, And I couldn't leave. And it's like the boy who cried wolf. You leave and then you go back and you leave and you go back and you leave and you go back. Are they going to believe you? Next time. Well, and then help. the shame attached to it. It's like, why am I going back? I can't stop myself from going back. And I want to elaborate on that when we come back from the break. I want to elaborate yeah, more on that because one. that's a huge thing. But the fact that I, that I didn't fight back and took a beating, um, that stopped me from talking about it for a long time because I was like, my ego was like, you're fucking scrappy. I mean, you know how to throw a punch. You, you know how to kickbox. You know how to, you know, I can protect myself, but I couldn't protect my daughter from being placed in a situation, a foster situation or, um, getting into the system behind my inability to leave this man. So there was a lot of shame. So I mean, there was a lot, got a lot higher. Yeah. And I entered a very dark place because I, all I did was beat myself up about how I couldn't leave. I know better. I remember this happening. What happened to me? I was a professional woman. I owned my own home. I've always been strong and independent and blah, blah, blah. And why is this happening to me? Mm -hmm. Uh, And during that time I I would write to Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) I I did. She had like on her website, you could like, 
write a letter and I would be writing to her, I am all fucked up and I can't, you know, and, and I was, I was all fucked up and I was pregnant. Then I became pregnant and I was in it. I With was in it deep. Child. Yes. Deep. So, um, it got ugly before it ever, ever got better. Um, it was difficult to get out of it. So we will talk about what More went on with, yeah, what went on with me that kept me in that situation. And then I really want to talk about how the hell I got out of it yeah. because, um, when I was struggling and, and grasping at straws and listening to other women and how they were getting out of these situations, the solution was incredibly important to me. So I don't want to the next half of this show is going to be geared I like towards because you're that. right. You're you're a freaking scrapper, fighter, whatnot, and I'm sure those women in the same group in the same um, may have had somebody on the other end of the spectrum that's so passive, quiet, mm. and just took the licks too. Yeah. So it there is no biasism. No. Okay. <laughs> in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. <laughs> We welcome you back to Whack-A-Mole, raw discussions about the messiness of life. Now, here are your hosts, Tina B. and Charmaine G. Hello, we're back. Hi. This everyone. is a raw conversation about a very messy part of real life. So, um, I'm so happy to be here telling this. I really, really am. Um, I've got Charmaine and Sean both looking at me. Are you okay? Are you okay? And I am okay. And thank God for asking. Thank you both for asking me that. I am okay. I'm ready to talk about this. I'm ready to, I'm not doing this for me. I'm saying it because I hope there's one woman out there who can, um, can have the courage to recover from this. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the hope. Mm -hmm. Okay. As I've stated like a million times already. So no, and I have to give hats off to you just because it takes a lot of courage. Um, some of us don't have voices on that and understand how to work through that or understand what it really meant. So I'm yeah. proud of you. I wasn't in a situation. A lot of women stay in that. Like my mom stayed in it because she didn't have a job and didn't have money. And my yeah, mom was the income. There was there, mm -hmm. totally, mm -hmm. that wasn't the case for me. I've always been a go-getter. I've always been employable. I've always been able to provide for my family as lean as it has been for me at times. I've always, I've, and I've always had confidence that I could do that. So that's, that's wasn't the reason that I didn't leave. I didn't leave because I wanted to gain control in that relationship that's really sad. It's sad. When I say it out loud, it's incredibly powerful. You wanted he to win. Wanted, yeah. And he wanted to win too. Now from a physical aspect, he was twice my weight. I was like 105 pounds. He was like 250. Goodness. Um, and yeah. And, and a bodybuilder and like, he was a big guy. Um, and, and I would get up all up in his face knowing that I'd take a beating. And I did. He kicked my ass one time all the way through the kitchen, through the living room, down the basement steps. And by the time I was down on the basement floor, I didn't have any clothes on. And he picked me up and cracked my back over a, a wooden uh, coffee table that we had down there. And it was all cement. It was an unfinished basement. And, um, and I had bruises up and down my body. And the next day I woke up and I raised my arms and I showed him that I had bruises right here on the inside of my arms. And he said, I'll never forget this. He said, he looked me right in the eye and the kids were getting ready for school. It was kind of a hustle and bustle of the morning. And he said, you must be terrified of me. And I just stared at him like in his eye until he looked away. 
because I wasn't terrified of him. I was terrified of me. I was terrified of the fucking rationalization that I would give to myself to stay in that situation. I mean, I'd like to say I was just so weak and feeble, but I really wasn't. I wanted control. I wanted to fucking win. And, and I placed myself in a dangerous situation in order to do that. And my daughter too. Mm. Um, so there's that. Um, I do didn't, you feel like you deserved it then? I mean, at some times when you would posture up and you would have the mouth and you would have the... Oh yeah, there were times. And he was right there to tell me that I did. He was right there to tell of me that, you is. know, you... you of know, course sh- I mean, you have... Shut your fucking mouth. You know, and I'd be like, no. <laughs> and, and then something would ensue after that. And I knew that that was probably going to happen. But I wasn't going to shut my mouth. I should have left, but I didn't shut my mouth and I didn't leave. So, I mean, think about that for a second. That's a pretty shitty place to position yourself yeah. in. So, um, so I was holding on to this bravado from wherever that came from. And then I was holding on to this whole other mind fuck of, you know, you, you have to win this for whatever reason. And, and it, there was a small part of me that wanted to fix him. Of course that yep. comes into play where I'm just, I I'm going to be the saving. Oh my gosh. The saving grace. I'm going to be, you know, God almighty. Did he have it in you know? his home? Uh, I don't know. I don't know, but I can give you a peek into something his father said to me one time. He hit me and his father called the next morning and I was very close to his father. And I said, he was like, what the hell's going on over there? And I said, well, he pushed me off the porch, <laughs> you know? And he said, well, did you deserve it? <gasps> and in that moment I was like, I got to get the fuck up out of here. And that was a turning point for me. And so I did, I packed the kids up and I, I, we were in Oklahoma at that time and I drove all the way back to California and then back here and got my shit together. But I took him back after that too. You did. Yeah, I did. I, that was my I next did. question. I did. Indeed. Did he come looking for you? Uh, we kind of would look for each other. You know, we would, um, <clears throat> there was some pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization around my behavior with him for sure. That, um, I would get off on the apology. I would get off on just, um, him needing me mm-hmm. in some way. It was a very sick dynamic. I was suffering in that. And there were women watching this. There were other people, not just my kids, but there were other people that were watching me in this just spin out. And I kept defending him and kept defending uh, my going back. The shame that was attached to that was unparalleled to anything I've, and I've done some shitty things, you know, I've in my addictions and whatever, you know, that you have shame about Um, by far staying in that relationship was the worst. He had a hold on, on, I don't want to say he had a hold on me. I allowed him yeah, to suffocate the shit like, out of me. In, mm-hmm. in my mind over here, I see you and I see you now. Mm-hmm. Hearing this, I almost want to say, how did she let that happen to her? You're not the only one, sister. People would be like, you? Somebody controlled you? How the fuck? And it, 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 it is what it is. I wouldn't admit it for a long time. Again, I, I'm and you had a part in now. that. I had a part in a lot of things. I was not innocent. I mean, there were t- I spit on him. There were times I went after him with a bat at one time. I, I, maybe assaulted him and made contact. I think twice out of the fifty times he did me. Um, did you ever think that it might be the last? 
Were you ever scared to? Yeah. Dad? When he hit me when I was pregnant, I knew there was no boundaries in that. Like I knew that nothing else would, there was nothing that was going to change, um, that behavior. Yeah. So, so the two things that made me stay was that I didn't, or that I didn't fight back because I didn't want to go to jail and leave my child with him, mm. you know, cause that's why that would have looked. Did he do it with the children too? No, no. Okay. I mean, he didn't even spank the kids. He didn't spank his own daughter. He didn't, he was you? not. It, yeah. And, and there's a whole mind fuck that goes along with that. Um, you know, that negative voice that lives in your head, that negative self-talk. Sure. He was that voice out loud from the other side of the room. So if I was thinking I was a piece of shit, he was saying it out loud to me. And I was, mm, I don't want to say I was completely buying into it, but if you're telling yourself that and somebody else that you claim to trust is telling you that too, you're fucked, man. You're, you're not in a good situation. Right. So, um, so that, and you know, leaving my kids and having them taken away from me was a huge motivating factor in not fighting back. Um, and then there was just this whole, I was just in, um, like that lady from, uh, from, uh, silence of the lambs when he pushes her down and then to that well do you remember that movie yeah, where she yeah, goes yeah, yeah, yeah. put the lotion in the basket yeah you know and she's down there and she's like i want my mom it was like i was stuck in this hole and i could not he was the only one feeding me he was the only one talking to me he was i was emotionally dependent on him and it was a really horrible situation so it had an effect on my kids it had i finally just got the hell out of there and um I mean, and that is typical when in a domestic violence situation that the perpetrator t will isolate you, uh, not just for a period of time, but for a whole lifestyle, mm -hmm. like a whole lifestyle becomes isolated. Yes. It's a very big secret. Mm -hmm. I have to say, I'm totally in uh, this angle and these experiences that you've gone through. I have friends and I have um, people that I could say, it was hidden. They were uh, more of the submissive type that was like cowering, that wasn't a scrapper, wasn't a fighter. Mm -hmm. So there's so many angles that it changes a psyche and a dynamic in you mm -hmm. um, on the receiving end yeah. of violence that I I have to say that I, I, hearing, hearing what you've gone through, everything's, I mean, it's, it's a range what people can say domestic violence, what that looks like. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's not discriminate. Like it doesn't discriminate. It's across the spectrum. There, there was a time that a woman came to me. Now, it, the more I took him back and the more I condoned the behavior, the better he looked to everybody. So I lost credibility. Ah, uh. Yeah. You know, I had no cred at all um, in the circles I was moving around in the 12 step program and the mutual friends that we had. I even had a had a woman come to my house one day and we were chit chatting. It was somebody that I knew from a 12 step program that also knew him. And uh, she said to me, you know, when women um, say that they're being beat up and they're really not, it makes the domestic violence situation and statistics, it kind of skews that. And um, I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, well, if you say you're being hit or abused and you're not being abused, it, it 
it makes other women look bad. And I was like, you need to get the fuck up out of my house. Like right now, I didn't even, I was thought she was trying to be my friend. And then I thought, this has just been, this is just weird. Like it, the whole thing turned into um, something that was unrecognizable anymore. And I needed to separate myself from it. So how I did that was um, I... My usual solution in life, that was a long pause, mm -hmm. was to just go find another guy maybe and, okay. you know, just to, you know, do that. And for whatever reason, I wanted to stay, um, I made a commitment to God when I took my vows with him. So I didn't cheat on him. I didn't, and I had every reason in the world to leave and date and do whatever. And I didn't do any of that. I waited um, until my divorce was final before any of that took place, A. And B, I... Um, keeping that commitment that I made to myself and to, to God, the universe, um, did more for building my character. So there's that. Um, I, it was a slow process just getting out of that because we shared custody of a child and he was still like during drop-offs and stuff like that, he'd still get in my face. Um, and I had to slowly, uh, slowly change my interactions with yeah. him until they were almost no more. I realized at some point that what took, what it took to stay in that relationship was on any level, even just co-parenting, which was non-existent because in his mind, he had beaten me down. So f I had no credibility had even. Yeah. Well, and I had credibility, but he didn't see me as like, he would never say, Oh my gosh, that was great. What did you, you're a great person. Never, never, never. Um, and so I had to move myself. I had to isolate myself from the situation enough to start to see, uh, to get a footing, a little bit of a footing. I imagine. Yeah. And, and have other women in my life go, yeah, let's, you don't need to answer that text. You don't need to, does it concern your daughter? If it doesn't, then you need to look the other way. You need to just, and I eventually just started to do that and started to gain some self esteem. The only way that I did that was not when other people were telling me I was pretty or how great I was or any of that. I had to start acting my way into being a better woman and being a better woman meant that, uh, taking actions contrary to the way that I felt on a daily basis. Now that meant getting up and doing things for myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were times I had a deep depression behind this. I couldn't even get up and shower some days. It was that bad. I do that every weekend, but <laughs> well, me too. Don't tell anybody. I know. I love velvet teas. <laughs> Sorry. So I had to just start doing things differently and it was slow and I clung on and held on and surrounded myself with women who as cliche as it is, had what I wanted. They were living their lives in a way that was, um, independent. So some of the things that I did that were esteemable were, um, I got a job, uh, not just any job, but doing something that I really liked and serving my community. I had to take the focus outside of this dysfunction that I had been living in for like eight years and place that focus and do the next right thing for the greater good of my family. 
and it was rough and it was hard. And I will tell you that there were times I'd see him maybe in the grocery store and I would go into almost a full-blown anxiety attack. I imagine. It was not good. It was not a good situation at all. And and here he continued to uh, look real good. You know, he had a boat, he had a truck, he bought a house. Like, you know, he was just the you know, the BMOC, you know what the BMOC is? The mm. big man on campus, yeah. you know, he was just, oh, he's such a fucking great guy. You <laughs> I know? want and, him. And that Tina, what a liar, man. What a, you know, just all kinds of stuff. So I, I had to, uh, I had to move my ego out of the way and practice a lot of meditating. I had to stop telling myself uh, beating myself up about staying in that relationship as long as I did and start to, um, switch my perspective, even just like an eighth of an inch so that Mm -hmm. I could see something more than that, more than, um, this downward spiral and this ugly shit that was my life for a long time. My kids motivated me to do that too, because they were girls and they were watching. And they seen more value in you than you could give yourself. Yes. I have to, um, I wanted to explore the specifics of ego, that word that you've used. Yeah. I mean, cause I do see strength in you and however the scenario and the situation, the ex- lived experience that you had, I can't relate ego to that. Just, and I even talked to you earlier about what do you mean ego? Like when I think of somebody being ego, that means that they think they're better than other people. They think that, you know, that they're, um, you know, their shit don't stink. Mm. And realistically, would you describe ego more in this, this situation as like you were humiliated, like you were completely embarrassed and belittled and weakened to where your Mm -hmm. ego stepped in and said, I got this. I can do this. Yeah, well, addiction did that to me too. Okay. Where addiction just knocked the hell out of me, and and um, and if it were up to my ego to save me from anything, it's, it's impossible. That's not going to happen. Um, ego, after studying a little bit with Eckhart Tolle, um, Michael Singer, the Untethered Soul, he talks about it's mostly just presence. Because we talked last week about mm-hmm. that girl that lives in our head and she's like, yeah, do this, do this, do, yeah, that's what you need to do. Write this script and go over there and take a baseball bat to his truck. And, you know, I never did anything like that just as a disclaimer, <laughs> but you know, the script writing and had I followed that through with that, that same bitch no, in my head would have been, oh, wow, I can't believe you just did that. You know, it, it would be like that. There's no, there's no reliance on my ego. So my ego tells me when to be scared. My ego tells me, um, my ego comes up with some really great ideas, big, beautiful, bright ideas that seldom work out for me. <laughs> In those scenarios. I, yes. So I have to, I had to get quiet and quiet my head down. So when I say ego, there's a saying in AA that says EGO, ego is edging God out. Mm. So if I just shut my head up, literally like shut up, cut the tape, whatever, you know, cut the, the recording tape, that yeah, tape with that the scissor. Record, yep. And then I just, meditate and maybe listen to God for a minute. I, I could start to hear, yes, something different. And, um, and that relationship was an addiction. 
Somebody told me that too. A facilitator told me, oh yeah, you're just Very addicted to so. that. And I was just like, fuck you. No, I was so no. pissed. How could you even say that? That is ridiculous. And I took vows and I used all kinds of excuses to protect this man. And, um, cause you were he, in your addiction and he exactly. And he was, and I wasn't done with it. I wasn't done with it. And being in an addiction or an abusive relationship is like, uh, making love to a gorilla you just you're done when they're done you're <laughs> you're pinned down you are not going anywhere man you know so um so uh, it, it, they just have their way and then they get up and just walk away you know i've never made love to a gorilla well i haven't either i just imagine that that would be what it would be like you know I, so freedom now to me emerging from that okay as dysfunctional as that was um and through therapy and talking it out and finding my own personal story in my way. Um, I got the freedom after separation for a while, taking care of myself to start to appreciate who I was. I knew that I was smart. I knew that I was strong. I knew I was intelligent and had something a lot more I had something, I have something to offer the world. We you all do. do. Every, do. Uh, every one of us does. We're here for a reason. So what do I have to do? Like what I have to get like a snow shovel and start digging out the trash so that I can get to this beautiful, bright, shining gem that's there. And so I started shoveling that trash out of the way and, um, raising my girls, uh, being an influence to two young women was huge. And I was like, okay, so I, that um, was your motivator. Yeah. And I also had to, uh, somebody told me, make God your husband, like make God your husband. And I, I love that. Like, yeah. And so like, literally I would go to bed at night and I would be like, okay, well, God's in bed with me. Like not, it was not sexual at no. all, but like God is in bed with me. What would God do? Like, how would he speak to me? How, he's not going to leave me alone. I'm not going to be alone. No. Um, so I had to make God my husband and in so doing, I wasn't reliant on another human being and it, so that situation not only showed me that no human power could relieve me from my own malady and my own self, my own ego and my own bullshit. It had to be, um, it had to be me searching out on my own, what that might look like. Yeah. And the truth always is inside of us. So freedom today is the freedom to love other people to love other people walking through that. I came out of that situation with a compassion for other women. Mm. Um, that's beautiful. Cause I didn't like women before and now I don't like men. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I am just kidding. I was going to ask you, do you feel, I mean, with your magnet that you've had, do you feel like that it's turned and now you're gravitating towards, um, a healthier relationship? Oh and my how goodness. did you do that? Yes. I haven't arrived anywhere because I still have fights with my husband and I still run around the house with my hair on fire for sure. I However, have the freedom to accept love and reciprocate that. Okay. And that's, I crack that sliced my head open at some point when my husband used to tell me that Greg used to say, just, I love you. I still will say to him yet. Yeah, what do you want? Like what, what that's, how do you even you don't say that? Deserving of it? Right. Most of the time I do. That's flip flopped. It used to be that 
it used to be the other way around. Yeah. Now I just, when he says that he loves me, I allow myself to feel that. Like I stay quiet and don't deflect it with anything. And it's a beautiful thing. And I started to love my children and give back to them because they are um, exploring relationships. My daughter's been with her boyfriend for a long time, uh, six years. She's 22 now. They've been together since high school. Samantha has um, stretched out in a couple of uh you know, small relationships at her age. And, um, I've positioned myself. I believe they could say something opposite. I don't know. I believe I've positioned myself in their eyes to be an example because that was my, that was what, not out of guilt either, but that was my primary purpose is Mm -hmm. what, why the fuck am I here? Yeah. Why did I go through this? Why did I take a beating? Um, if I can't, reconcile that if I can't give that back to the world uh, and my kids might not be the ones who learn from that it might be some other woman that just comes to me and goes okay so this guy used to beat you up and now you're married to this I was attracting back to what you were saying I started to attract something different because my needs were being filled in other ways and I wasn't looking outside of myself in order to fill that right the cycle was broken it was broken and we encourage, our, <laughs> we encourage anyone that is in a situation. I mean, typically they say it takes about seven to 12 cycles mm. to actually find the help that you need. Mm-hmm. So the forgiveness, the amends cycle over and over and over again until you finally um, seek the help and then you may relapse. So it is an addiction. It is something that is, you can say ego driven or just... Um, it's Pure. doable. You can get yes. through this. You can get through this. And I have, um, I said I was going to say Charmaine's mole and I'm going to, um, Charmaine started a program in Washington County, Utah, where we live in St. George, um, called court support services, where she set out to help others and serve others in our community. Um, try to help them stay out of jail and get them the help that they need so that they can, um, continue to live productive lives and not reoffend. And um, we had I a ribbon cutting in our ceremony. Mm. I was so freaking proud to be a part of that and see you. And you're a beautiful human. That is Charmaine's personal ball. I, I have wonderful. to say it's not just me. It's a lot of us. And um, I enjoy the passion that we all have. And stay tuned to next week's episode. This was a big heavy and I'm proud of you, sis. 1-800-787-3224, the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Thank you. And this is our gift to you. You've been listening to Whack-A-Mole with Tina B. and Charmaine G. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Watch us on YouTube and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us next time for, well, whatever may happen with Tina B. and Charmaine G. On Whack-A-Mole.